So our speaker today is our own Cassie Kerrigan. Um, Cassie is, uh, has such a rich background. She has her undergrad in communication, and then she has two master's degrees, um, one in biblical studies and one in counseling. And uh, she has worked as a teacher, and also she um, developed the uh, If Equip, which is the If Gathering, their um, daily Bible study. She did that for four years. And um, she has um, two little children, and she's going to talk to you more about that. She's married to Jeff, and um, we're just really lucky and thankful to have Cassie here. Will everybody um, help me welcome her? And I just want to pray before we start. Lord, we um, just lift this time up to you, Lord, and I just pray for every mom here that you would help each mom here to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us um, to receive from you today. And we just pray for Cassie this morning, Lord, that you would give her grace and strength, Lord, to deliver the words that you would have her to today about anxiety and how it just plays in our everyday lives. Lord, we pray that um, Cassie would just be a gift to all of us with her teaching and her encouragement. And we just pray that you bless her and give her peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I had this brilliant idea I think on Saturday, when I was planning for this talk, and I was going to start off with this brilliant idea of bringing in some eggs, okay? And, you know, we're talking about anxiety and its impact on our daily life. So I thought, well, what a better way to start a talk about anxiety than to bring some eggs and throw them into the crowd and see who can catch them, <laughs> right? And so I ran it by my husband, and he was like, oh. And then I thought, well, what if I throw it to this table and I don't throw it to the athlete at the table and then they miss it, they don't catch it, it explodes everywhere. What if I hit somebody's coffee over, right? And so I decided against it. But if it would have been a surprise and I would just thrown it out of nowhere, probably in that moment, and if it was coming at you, what have you might felt? Anxiety, because you were worried about what? Not catching it, right? And getting messy, right? So I thought, what better way to start off and talk about anxiety than making you anxious? <laughs> um, so just imagine if we were doing that right now. But don't worry, I have no eggs anywhere on me, okay? <laughs> All right. So the first thing we're going to do is we need to define anxiety. You will hear a lot of people define it in different ways. I like to define it as a fear of the future unknown. And you do have a handout. I do have some PowerPoint slides. They're pretty basic. Um, I want you to be able to listen and interact with the content as much as you can. So hopefully that will be a good guide. But again, the definition of anxiety, I think, is a fear of the future unknown. You could also describe it as a fear of bad things happening, nervousness, uneasiness, worry, high levels of concern. And all of this is usually in relation to an upcoming event or an uncertain outcome. 
So after hearing that definition, how many of you feel like you deal with anxiety? Raise your hands. Yep. Okay, so what I want you to think about now, just for a moment in time, is if I were to give you a scale of zero to 10, where zero is no anxiety at all, and 10 is the most anxiety that you could ever imagine, what number would you pick for yourself in this season of life? And I want you to write that number down somewhere on your paper. The first part of our conversation today, we're going to look at the therapeutic side of anxiety because I am a a therapist. So we're going to hit that a little bit. And then we are going to transition and look at a theological perspective of anxiety. I do not think they are mutually exclusive. I do think they overlap in every way. So the first thing, let's talk about healthy versus unhealthy anxiety. I was actually talking to a friend of mine, I think two days ago about this talk. Um, She doesn't live here, but uh, we always run our talks by each other. Um, And so it's helpful. But she was like, how can you have healthy anxiety? Um, So what I mean by that, right, is that anxiety really is a normal experience, right? Just when I ask you to raise your hands, pretty much everyone in the room raised their hand. It's a very human experience to feel anxious at certain times. I like to say that healthy anxiety does not impact our daily task, okay? And we can manage the anxiety. Unhealthy anxiety, I would say, starts to negatively impact the daily tasks that we have to do in a way where we begin to not be able to manage the anxiety or accomplish the daily tasks that we really need to. Let me give you an example. So let's say I'm walking on a sidewalk. Okay, I'm just going for a walk. It's nice outside. But let's be honest, is it really ever nice outside? That's how I feel right now. I know it is today, and I'm grateful for that. Um, But, you know, I'm from Texas, so I just, I'm really, the cold, the snow, I'm done. Um, But I'm walking on a sidewalk, and all of a sudden, I see a snake, right? Go across the sidewalk. Okay, unless you love snakes, I don't know, maybe one of you has a pet snake. Anybody ever had a pet snake? Yes. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Okay, we got one person. Um, So if I were to see that snake, what, what would you do? Jump, scream, run away, right? All of that, okay? Because what's happening in that moment, right, is that we feel anxious about potential harm or this fear of what might happen with me and this snake, right? And, and I would say that that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It might be good to run away from the snake, okay? So that would be a very normal, healthy response to anxiety. You also will feel that a lot in your body, and we'll get there in a second, and we'll talk all about that, okay? So where this same example can transition into unhealthy anxiety is if after that day I were to say... To myself, I am never walking that path ever again, right? Because if I do, I will become anxious in a way that I cannot handle it, right? 
So that's where I would say it starts to transition into unhealthy anxiety because the reality is that of that happening again, it's a, there's a chance, right? But it's not super likely. And probably that snake was a garden snake, and so it's actually not going to hurt you, right? So there's that too. Okay, so that gives you kind of a good real-life example. Another way that anxiety can be unhealthy is that we create a false reality with this, okay? So what I mean by this is I'm anxious about some future event, circumstance, whatever it might be, that, and I'm starting to think about, right? Let's, let's, if I had a little cloud, you know, picture that, okay? So I'm thinking about this future event, circumstance, and I'm wondering, will this happen? Will that happen? Maybe that will happen, right? And I start to think through this, and as I'm doing that, I become very anxious, right? Because I don't want that to happen. I actually want this to happen, but I don't know how it's going to go, right? So when, when we do that, I'm starting to create this false reality because I'm becoming anxious over something that's actually not even happening, right? It's not even reality, okay? So when we do this, we start to distort the truth, and we don't even know we're doing it. And when we distort the truth, it starts to distort our reality because our reality probably is true to some, more so than this false reality that may never not happen. That's a double negative, not happen. So we begin to project our fear onto, from this false reality onto our reality, and we start to live like this false reality is actually happening, right? And we carry the anxiety. We're living in the anxiety. We're breathing the anxiety, all based off of something that's not even happening. And y'all, that is a waste of some good anxiety, okay? So let's not do that. And what we need to do, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, we need to kind of go grab that and bring it back to what is true and what is actually reality. Some of you might be wondering, well, how do I know if my anxiety is healthy or not healthy? And I want to try to help you with that a little bit today, at least give you a good guide so when you leave here today, you will have hopefully a clear picture of that. I'm going to look, we're going to look at some, the diagnostic criteria for generalized anxiety disorder. (laughs) That's a mouthful. So look at this sheet, this handout. I keep, it's like so loud and close and far and sorry. (laughs) Um, Look at this sheet right here. Okay. So I did not come up with this. This is in our DSM, which is our diagnostic statistic manual for disorders. Okay. And I would say that as we go through this, we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but if you start to identify with some of this stuff, my encouragement, strong encouragement for you would be to seek professional help with this, okay? Um, 
potentially with a therapist, see a psychiatrist, consider the option of medication. I do not think medication is bad. I think God has created medication, and I think it can be a really useful tool. And I think if you are on medication, it is helpful to also have therapy with that piece, even if you can't go all the time, even just as check-ins to see what's going on. All right, so let's look at this. It's very specific. Okay, so this first one, under the letter A, it says excessive anxiety and worry occurring more days than not for at least six months about a number of events or activities such as work or school performance. So that's six months, especially as a therapist, that's a big marker for us and and helping our clients trying to figure out if there is you know, a potential chemical imbalance or something going on, okay? Uh, the B, the individual fits, finds it difficult to control the worry. C, it talks about how anxiety can be associated with some other things. And in order to be diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, you have to have three or more of the following six symptoms And, oh yeah, and you can see there too that only one item is required for children. But if you look through these, so this is a lot of physical symptoms of anxiety, but the restlessness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tension, sleep disturbance. The next one just talks about physical symptoms causing distress or impairment. And then... You know, and this that E is like, make sure it's not being caused by some type of substance, right? Because certain substances can cause anxiety. So we look for that and make sure that's not happening. And then that last one just talks about, is it being caused by any other type of potential disorder, like a panic attack disorder? Or, and so we try to decipher maybe between some of those things. So that, again, is very brief. I'm not going to get into that more today. I'm sure you might have many questions about that, but that would be a great thing to talk to a therapist about to try to get some more clarity. But this just gives you a good, a better, a more tangible, hopefully, piece of information to help guide you when you're thinking about, is my anxiety healthy or is it unhealthy? Okay? So let's talk about the physiological symptoms of anxiety. These are fun. Okay, so anxiety impacts our physical body. There's just no way around it. I like to say that our bodies and our brains are in a tennis match. So my body's over here and my brain is on this side and they're just playing tennis back and forth, right? They're they're working off of each other. I think the physical symptoms of anxiety, the physiological symptoms of anxiety are good warning signs for us. Because sometimes, and I would say almost even a lot of times, we feel the anxiety in our bodies before we know it in our head. So let me give you an example. If all of a sudden my heart starts racing, right? And I'm like, why is that happening? (laughs) Right? That is a good warning sign. Think about your yellow, like flashing lights, a yield sign for us to slow down, to take caution, and then to check in with our mind and our heart 
and see what's going on. And so let these, this is a positive when it comes to these physical symptoms of anxiety that they can help us get to the bottom of what's going on in our heart and our mind. So I want you to think about where you carry anxiety in your body. We typically all have maybe two to four places that are kind of our go-tos. For me, I carry anxiety in my jaw a lot and in my shoulders. And I want you to write that down somewhere. Where do you feel like you carry that in your body? Some examples of physiological symptoms of anxiety. I think they're up there, but dizziness, difficulty concentrating, sweating, headaches, fatigue, mind racing, blurry vision, heart pounding, muscle tension, shortness of breath, chest pressure, lack of appetite, knots in stomach, and shaking. This is not an extensive list. Um, There are more and maybe And, you know, you could have some of these physiological symptoms and not be experiencing anxiety. So don't, please don't leave here thinking, oh my gosh, I have a headache. I must be anxious. (laughs) Um, So, you know, but you could be, right? So it might be worth checking in on. Who wants some coping skills? Anybody? All right. Okay, let's do that. Um, So I want to give you some tangible things to walk away with today when you're thinking about anxiety. Now, coping skills are not a solution, never a solution. They are very helpful in managing the problem until we get to the solution, right? And so we need them, right? We need coping skills as we dig deeper to figure out what's going on. The first one, and I've talked about some of this stuff before, I think in another one of my talks, but is deep breathing. Everybody's favorite, right? Nobody likes this, at least in my, at least in my office, because it's boring. I don't, it feels so, it takes so long, and I'm like, I'm asking you to do five minutes, five minutes. Okay, um, but the thing about deep breathing, it's probably research shows that it is the most, maybe the most effective, it's definitely in the top like three, coping skills for anxiety, When I say deep breathing, a good way to start is to try to do for five minutes and you take, try to take four counts in your nose and four counts out of your mouth. If that feels like you're suffocating, you're not doing it right. That is not what we want. So maybe reduce that number to like three counts in, three counts out. The thing about deep breathing is that it, you can't have a racing heart by doing deep breathing, right? Like it actually helps change the course of those physiological symptoms of anxiety. Another really important one is to stay present. You remember when we were talking about the false reality that we create out here? Like I said, we need to go grab our brain and bring it back to its proper home, Okay, not out here in this unknown world, but back into our head where it lives, back into the present today. Our brains do not like it when we don't live in the present. They do not function at their best optimal level when we are not in the present. 
A good way to do that is grounding tools. One of them I've said before, I think I put it up here, maybe not. Oh, there it is, grounding. But the five, four, three, two, one. So it is, you think of, so if I'm doing this, right, and I'm thinking, I'm getting anxious, my false reality is becoming real, I stop, and I, you know, hopefully I recognize what I'm doing, and I start to go, okay, what are five things I can see right now? I can see that clock, I can see all these people, I can see the chair, I can see the table, I can see the microphone. And then I think about four things that I can touch just from where you're at. So I'm touching the table, I can touch this microphone, so on. Three things that you can hear. And then two things that you can smell. That one might be hard, maybe you can only smell one, but just the trying works in the brain, okay? Um, And then one thing you taste, even if it's just the water that you have with you. Putting it in your mouth, seeing what it, temperature it is, what it tastes like, all of that. What is that doing? Somebody tell me. What? Yes, bring you to the present. It's reminding me of where I am right now in this moment, right? And so I, I get out of this false reality that I'm living in. Another one, butterfly taps. This is a good one because it, it's a tangible thing. So I'm going to put the microphone down and show you. But all you do, don't roll, <laughs> is just go like this and tap back and forth, okay? You know... I mean, you can do that in public. Who cares what other people think, right? But if you are concerned with that, you could just tap on your knees, even like this. Anything like that, that it can help calm the body, which will help calm your mind. And the crossing helps because of your, this bilateral stimulation that happens in our body. Gratefulness. This is a huge one to combat anxiety. Huge. Um, I keep a gratefulness journal. Every night I just write down one sentence of what I was grateful for. Um, It serves as even like a a memory book too, so to speak. Uh, But it it is very grounding and it's helpful to combat anxiety. It's important to identify our emotions and ask why we're feeling them. Not just the anxiety, but maybe any other emotions that are going on. It's helpful to try and sit down and think about what you're thinking. We call that mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is just thinking about what you're thinking about and being aware of it. And when we become aware of what we're thinking, we could potentially identify some intrusive thoughts that are going on. Any type of physical activity is really good for anxiety. Walking, whatever you want to do. Throwing eggs around, it's fine. (sighs) I did do that. I played softball. I don't know any other softball players in here. And we had to catch our coach, throw them up, and it was a way to teach us soft hands, right? And catch it without it breaking. Um, (laughs) That's probably where I got my idea from. (laughs) And then the last one is something to tell yourself this phrase, I am safe right now, okay? Because again, when we're creating this false reality in our mind, we start to believe this thing is actually true, which 
makes us anxious and potentially of feelings of not being safe. So when we're able to remind ourselves that like actually right now in this moment, I am safe. That is a real true statement. Right now in this moment, I am safe. All right, let's look at the theology of anxiety. So don't write this part down because it's not in the Bible. So let's just leave it in the space, okay? Um, (laughs) But clearly, I think we could say that anxiety is a result of the fall, right? Very big picture, right? I don't think anxiety was meant to be a part of the Garden of Eden, right? If it would have stayed like it was before Adam and Eve sinned. So very big picture, I think that that is true. This is the part you shouldn't write down, okay? Um, But I want us to think about the moment when Adam and Eve sinned. And, you know, it, it said they heard God coming and they hid, okay? And, you know, it said that they did that because all of a sudden they realized they were naked. I kind of say that word like Texas. <laughs> Every now and then it comes out. I didn't even know that was true until my husband was like, wait, what did you say? I was like, naked. <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's be honest. If all of a sudden I realized I was naked standing before you right now, that would make me anxious. Right? A lot more anxious than I am right now. Okay? So Adam and Eve sin, they realize they were naked, they hear God coming, and they hide. And I think a lot, I mean, who knows what they were feeling in that moment, right? We don't get a huge glimpse into that. But I think for sure they were probably feeling shame, right? That's why they hid. Fear, and I think anxiety, right? In the sense of like the fear of the future unknown, right? Like what is God going to do? And, and so I think for us, if we think about anxiety almost as a longing to be with God, okay? And what I mean by that is... <clears throat> We were meant and we were made to be with our God, okay? And when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and sin and death had separated us from God, there is this space now, right? And praise God for Jesus, right? Because we know that when he died and resurrected, this veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that we could have a relationship with Jesus now. And then we have the Holy Spirit who comes, and so we get to have some of God's presence, right? But it's, we don't get the fullness of his presence yet, to be in his presence. You know, and I think the Holy Spirit, there is a fullness of his presence, right? So I'm not saying that. But th- the way it should be, we're not quite there yet, right? It's that already, not yet. And I think in that tension, we feel some of that anxiety, right? And that's what I mean by anxiety. I think 
when we really strip it down, is kind of this longing for God. And to be close to him, to be near to him, to be with him. Okay, so now we're going to talk about, just for a second, is anxiety a sin? How many of you have ever wondered that? Or struggled with that? Wrestled with that? Good, good. So just think about that while I take some water here for a second. (laughs) So the good thing is, I am not the judge, the capital J judge. So I don't really have to decide this. So that's good. Okay. Um, but I think the, the, the answer to that question, is it a sin, is maybe. Right? Maybe. Not always, but maybe. Sometimes. Okay? I'm going to kind of walk through some different scenarios to help you think about this. Let's go back to the example with the snake. That kind of anxiety, when I see the snake go across the sidewalk and my heart starts pounding, I scream, right? Maybe I start sweating and I start to run. Do you think that type of anxiety is sinful? No, I don't either. Okay. All right. Good. Now, I think sometimes we can feel anxious because of our sin. Okay. So what I mean by that is let's say I'm talking to a friend and I start gossiping about another, another one of our friends. And I leave that conversation and I start getting really anxious that this friend is going to go tell that friend what I said about her, right? So I think that that anxiety is produced potentially from our sin. And then I think, and we're going to look at some scripture in a second, but I do think that sometimes when we don't trust God, the anxiety that's produced from that, you know, when we lack that trust, maybe the anxiety is not a a sin, but our lack of trust in God is, right? And so it's producing this anxiety for us. And let's just be honest, I think I meant to say this at the beginning, but you know, the eggs distracted me. I am, all of this, yes, I am preaching to you today, preaching, teaching, but I am, this is all to myself too, so just FYI. Um, and then the chemical imbalance thing, in my personal opinion, I don't think that's a sin. Okay. I think maybe how you deal with it could potentially find, you know, sin in that. Right. Um, but I don't think just to have a chemical imbalance is necessarily a sin. Now I do think the chemical imbalance piece, if it's there is a result of the fall, because if, If that had not happened, I don't think that would be a part of a perfect creation with Jesus, right? All right, let's look at some scripture here. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We're not going to read all of this, but this is Jesus talking. And, you know, this is the passage where he talks about the birds, And he said, you know, if I will provide for the birds, then surely, right, I will provide for you because you and me are more valuable than the birds. And then he asked, you know, very Jesus fashion, kind of a rhetorical question, right? Can you add an hour to your life by waiting? Or sorry, worrying, (laughs) waiting. Um, 
by worrying, right? And I just, I love that question because I think it's so real. It's so practical, right? Like you, like you literally can't add an hour to your life by worrying. Probably you're going to take hour away from your life, right? If you're worrying. And then he does say, you have little faith in here at some point. Worrying about this, worrying about that, right? And so we see that faith aspect, aspect come into play here. And then he tells us in that same passage to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I see this almost as having an eternal perspective. And I think when we can have an eternal perspective to focus on the things that we can't see, right? That that is a great tool for us to help reduce our anxiety. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. I know this is a pretty common verse, but the, the reality is if we lean on our own understanding, it will lead to anxiety. For sure. For sure. And instead, we need to submit and surrender and trust. To trust him with the things that we can't control. Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul's talking. And he tells us to not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love this verse because when I think about anxiety in this verse, I'm like, I feel like God's given us a game plan with this verse. You know, Um, like this is what you need to do. Like I'm going to make this real simple, right? And really what it comes down to, instead of being anxious, you need to pray. That's what you need to do. Now, can you always pray your anxiety out? I would say no, right? And so that's why I've talked about all these other things that I've talked about, right? And so that is not what I'm saying, right? But even if you have a chemical imbalance and you need help with some medication, let's pray about it, right? You know, why, why can't we bring that in to that space as well? He tells us to be grateful, right? I mean, we, we talk about gratefulness all the time in counseling, all the time. And guess whose idea it was? God's, right? You know? And I mean, literally, specific to anxiety even, he tells us this. And then to ask him for what we need. And when we do these things, it can lead to peace. Right? This peace that only can come from God. In John 14, 27, Jesus is talking here. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or anxious and do not be afraid. I love this verse because if you were to look at John 14, 26, right before this verse... Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says, my peace I leave with you. So the peace of God is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That is the peace of God. And we all have access to that if we are in Christ. And so let's start accessing that. And it's a peace that drives out our anxiety, our fear, and troubled hearts. 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I mean, really think about that. He's asking us to cast, to give, to throw our anxiety onto him because he cares. We, we believe and follow a God who cares and cares about this place, specific place of anxiety in your life. And he's asking you to do this. One thing I want you to do right now is I just want you to close your eyes. Take a good deep breath. We'll just practice. And I want you to try to visualize you with Jesus. Maybe you're standing there together, sitting down at a table. I don't know. But I want you to visualize yourself giving that anxiety to him. Literally handing it to him. And then I want you to think about how, what, is he, what is he doing with that? When you hand it to him, what is he doing with that? Okay, you can open your eyes. And I want, I want you to continue to practice that when you go home tonight. Because maybe, maybe he didn't do anything with it. I don't know, maybe in your visualization, he turned, his, he turned around and you were looking at his back. Well, that is not, I think, true to his character. And so we need to figure that out, right? But I want you to try to continue to practice that and doing that on a daily basis. So after we've read these scriptures, I think we can have a good idea of what the opposite of anxiety is. I would say that the opposite of anxiety is peace in God, seeking his peace, trusting God, and choosing to surrender to God. I'll say those again. The opposite of anxiety is peace in God, trusting God, and choosing to surrender to God. Peace in God and meaning that we are going to hand him our anxiety and ask him to give us his peace in return. To trust God and to say that his ways and plans are higher than ours. To surrender to God, the things that we cannot control over and over and over again. So a question 
And again, we kind of do this a lot in counseling, and it's just a technique. But I think it's good for us, is what if the worst thing happens? Right? And y'all, we don't really talk about this, but the worst thing has already gone through your head. So we, guess what? We need to talk about it because it's already happened. You've already thought about it. Okay? And my reality right now, the worst thing has happened. My child, my baby has died. Right? And that, that was the worst thing that could happen for me in that moment. You know, my greatest fear becoming reality, especially as a parent, you know, and to hold two children in my arms as they've slowly died. I mean, that is a fear and the worst thing happening in that moment. There are other worst things that could happen, and I know that. But in that specific situation, that was the worst thing that could happen. Our Caleb, not here, right? You know, when I think about his pregnancy and I think about his 27 days of life, it was filled with anxiety. Pregnancy was like, he has this, he has that. Oh, he doesn't have this, he doesn't have that. I mean, it was so up and down. And then his 27 days of life were full of the unknown. And it was just constant, you know? And talk about fear of the future unknown. I mean, I was beyond anxious. I was filled with fear and stress. You know, we didn't find out that he had a fatal lung disease until the night before he died, right? And we had no reason to think that he was going to die until they told us the night before he actually died. You know, and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, I think that's a great question. I don't really know. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is to go back to what we just talked about. This trusting in God and trusting that he has a plan for my life, that he has a plan for my family, and that he has a plan for Caleb's life and death. To surrender that my plan, if it was my plan, if it was I was in control, it would all look a whole lot different than this. Right? A whole lot different. And to surrender that to him. And then to seek peace moment by moment amidst the worst circumstances. Because if I don't, I will not get out of bed. I will be consumed by anxiety and fear for the rest of my life. So I want you to think about what if the worst thing happens? And I think the answer is grace. Okay, I think that's on this next slide maybe. Is it? Nope, okay, sorry, my bad. But what if the worst thing happens? The answer is grace. Okay, and what I mean by that is that God will give you the grace you need to walk whatever path he puts before you. I think that's true. I think that's biblical. It has to be true, especially for me. I mean, it has to be true. 
And here's the thing. For this fear, if your, if your fear of your worst thing happening is not happened, hopefully it will never happen, but if, if it hasn't happened, you don't need that grace until it happens, okay? And the only reason why I say that is because I want that to help reduce some of your anxiety because I think we can get caught up in trying to figure out how would I do this, right? But you don't need to figure that out right now. And he doesn't have to give you the grace for that because you're not in it yet. Right? And so know and trust that if it does happen, he will give you the grace you need. Now, do I think God can give you the grace for your anxiety about the worst thing happening? Of course. Right? But the grace I need might look different from you right now. So I want you to think about, again, that worst thing. I mean, it could be, we, you know, we, we probably have these big worst things happening, like death, right, in whatever form or fashion. But we also have kind of more of a daily, yearly, weekly worst things happening. What if, I can't, what if we can't pay our mortgage and we have to move out, right, because finances are hard? And that would be the worst thing that could happen in that specific area, right? What if this thing I did causes me to lose this friendship? And that feels like in that area, that could be the worst thing that could happen. Okay, so I want you to think about your worst thing. Again, whether it's big, small, whatever. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but again, you've already thought about it. And so we need to talk about it. Otherwise, it will, Satan will use it to haunt you and produce anxiety. And so I want you to think about it. And then I want you to see Jesus standing there with the grace that you will need to walk whatever path he puts before you. I know for me, the only reason I'm standing here before you today is because of the grace of God. 100%, without a doubt. I do not always feel like that. I feel like I need more grace all the time. All the time. Because every day I'm like, am I going to make it through today? I don't know. Right? And so I am asking him, begging him to help. Right? To give me the grace I need to put one foot in front of the other. A lot of people <clears throat> have, you know, said to me, you're just so strong, right? And probably some of you in this room have said that, and that's totally fine. And I, that's encouraging to some extent, but I for sure don't feel strong. But I know that the grace of God makes me strong. And I know this, whether I feel it or, or I don't feel it, right? And so guess what? I have had to stand on the foundation of my faith, the, the foundation of my theology, and praise God that I had worked that out <laughs> before all this happened, okay? And you have to do that because if, it's, if you're not standing on the foundation of Jesus and the worst thing happens, that is not the time to figure it out, okay? 
And so you need to, we got to do this now. Are we standing on the grace of Jesus? Are we standing on how much we can do? Are we standing on the abilities of other people? I don't know. But if you need to deal with God in that today, today's, I mean, it's pretty outside. It's a good day to do it. Okay. So think about that. Thank you. I know I like a little feedback. You can give me some amens or yeah, it's good. I don't always feel strong. Um, I am, I feel broken in every part of my being to the depths always. And now since he's died, I am dealing with different types of anxiety Anxiety over, is my marriage going to make it? Because I know the statistics. When you have a child, children die. The statistics go up a lot for divorce. We grieve really differently. So we're having to fight. I'm incredibly anxious that for my two living children my four-year-old and two-year-old, that their experiences of death at such a young age are going to negatively impact them for the rest of their lives. Because I know what trauma does to the brain. And I also know that God is bigger than that. And so I have to trust that and continue to ask him to protect my children and that he would use it for good in their lives and that they would become these incredible followers of Jesus because of this you know, this intimate, you know, experience they've had with death at such a young age. I'm anxious a lot. And I, this is not my norm, y'all. So (laughs) that I'm going to lose my friends. And I have lost some friends. So, I mean, part of that has actually come true. And again, I I know that to be true because of my job. I tell people this, that like, you might lose people because of this significant loss you're experiencing. But I am anxious that I'm going to be too much, too heavy, too sad. I'm no fun to be around. And I mean, part of me, I really understand that because I feel that. I don't really want to be around myself. Okay? And so I get that. And then that anxiety of not feeling enough, right? Because I don't have much to give. And again, what do I do with this, (laughs) right? I have to give it to the Lord. I have to surrender. I have to trust. I have to seek peace. What are the underlying causes of anxiety? It's really important that we ask this question. To ask, why do I feel anxious? Because when we can find an answer for that question, it helps give us a guide for how to move forward. There could be so many different reasons for underlying causes of anxiety. I'm going to give you a few of them here. When you believe lies about yourself, about others, or about God, that can cause anxiety. 
when you have negative or distorted thinking. Personalities. Some personalities are more prone to it. Anybody feel like any sixes, Enneagram people, sixes in the room? Yes, okay. Um, and th- th- that is not a bad thing, right? So that don't hear me say that. That's not what I'm saying. But some of us and our personalities are just more prone to it. That also doesn't mean it can't be managed. Trauma can cause anxiety. Family of origin and how your family operated can cause anxiety. Life experiences a desire for control. That will cause you a lot of anxiety because you actually can't control. (laughs) I always talk about how it's like you're on a treadmill and you're running and like you're just like trying to control, trying to control and you're like, okay, I'm going to go faster, faster, faster. And then all of a sudden you realize you're actually not going anywhere, right? And it's exhausting, right? That's kind of like trying to control and that produces anxiety. Incomplete knowledge. And we have incomplete knowledge because we are not God, right? He has revealed certain things to us, but he has not revealed everything to us. We don't know everything. Comparison. That will cause you some anxiety. Oh, that mom, she put her kid in this, at this thing at two years old. Mine's eight, and we haven't ever done that. <laughs> right. Social media. Ooh, this is a big one. Lots of anxiety. Why? Somebody tell me. Shout it. Comparison. Yes. And especially in adolescence, y'all, this is killing them. It's, it's just killing their souls. And causing so much anxiety and so much distortion. A lack of self-care can cause anxiety. Not taking care of yourself, whether that's nutrition, sleeping, physical activity, community, all those things. A lack of time with the Lord through prayer and scripture, I think, can cause us anxiety. Loss can give us anxiety. Transition or change. And being worried about what other people think about you. Again, this is not an extensive list, so take it for what it is. And now I want you to think about what causes your anxiety. Maybe look at that list. Maybe that will be helpful in guiding you, helping you trying to figure out what causes. A lot of times in the moment, we don't really have any clue what's causing our anxiety. That's a really normal thing. And so we have to spend a little bit more time when we're not so heightened to try to press in and figure out what's going on. But I want you to talk about this at your tables today. What causes your anxiety? And listen, please do not leave here today without saying it. You have to say it because there's freedom in saying it. You've already thought it. Your neighbor's already thought it. I bet you, right? And so let's just say it and let there be freedom. Let light enter the darkness. 
And, and to talk about what is God asking you to do with this anxiety, what tools maybe even that we talked today about might be helpful for that anxiety. To close, I want to say that your anxiety does not define you. It doesn't. Never has, it doesn't today, never will. And that's because if you are in Christ, you are his daughter, a daughter of the most high king, and that is what defines you, always. And God is more powerful than your anxiety. He is sovereign over your anxiety. And he is sovereign over the bad things that happen. He is sovereign over the fact if you're sitting in here and you have to take medication for your anxiety, he is sovereign over that. And guess what? If you have to take medication, you can do all of those things. Trust him with that. Surrender that to him. Seek his peace in the midst of that. God cares about your anxiety and what you experience on a daily basis. And I know for a fact that he wants you to live in freedom. And we have an enemy who does not want you to live in freedom. And so he will use this to keep you from that freedom. Let's not let him do that today. I'm going to pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your character. We thank you that you are the source of peace and freedom and healing. And God, we ask that you would do that in each one of our hearts. God, we thank you that we can trust you and that we can surrender all of this to you. God, bring freedom today. Amen. so much, Cassie. Hey, did you want to do Q&A for just a couple minutes? And then also, could you tell us, uh, she has a new website that she's launched. And I know that I'm going to be digesting this for a long time. So I want to visit her website. Um, yeah, it's just CassieKerrigan.com. Um, it has information about my counseling, about speaking, about writing, about podcasts I've done. Yeah, all the things. Perfect. Questions? Any questions? What do you think the connection, correlation, causation between anger and anxiety is? And I have a couple of thoughts if, that, if that's way too big of a question. <laughs> like if you want some direction or if you have an answer right away, that's fine. Um, you know, I think ang- anger is typically a secondary emotion. So there's usually always something under the anger. I like to say that if you think about you're making a stew, right? Well, the steam that's coming from the stew is like, is the anger. But what we got to ask ourselves, what's in the pot? It could be anxiety, right? And, it, and then we have to keep going a little bit deeper, right? Even than that. Your anxiety could make you angry too, that you're anxious. I don't know, right? I mean, so I think, I definitely think there can be connection. Not necessarily for everybody, potentially. What, um, what's some good coping or what's the best way to respond if you're around other people who have anxiety? Um, 
Like if they're actively like anxious, how to help them. Um, honestly, like when you're actively anxious and pretty, when I, and I'm thinking by actively anxious at a heightened level, the best thing you can do are coping skills, right? So if you're with a friend, just start deep breathing with them, right? I'm like, hey, let's breathe together, right? And you model that for them. That can be really helpful for them who are, you know, and they're in a heightened state to be able to see you and do that, right? I do this with my kids, right? Um, so I would say, you know, what is not super helpful, right? When someone's like having a panic attack and people are like, just breathe, just breathe, right? I mean, it's too late then. We're already past that point, right? And so, you know, those things are, t- I don't find helpful. You know, maybe like, let's do a grounding technique, right? Um, and do that with them, you know, because I think when you're at a heightened state, the best way to handle it is to manage it first, get it to a healthier level, and then you could go into, why do you think you feel anxious? Or do you have any thoughts to that? But if they're at a heightened level, to start with that question probably is not going to help them in that moment. Is that helpful? Okay. I almost hate to bring it up, but stimulants and anxiety, like coffee. Or can you, can you, um, diet, I guess. How can we fight this through diet? Yeah. I mean, coffee is for sure a stimulant, right? And if you struggle a lot with anxiety, I would, I would tell you, Hey, try to take out the coffee. See, see if it helps. Right. Um, you know, and, and any, right. Any, and this would be true for any type of mental health, but any foods that cause inflammation, Right, are going to negatively impact your brain's functioning. So don't eat cookies. <laughs> I'm not saying you can even eat them. It's more. It's moderation. Moderation. Yeah. Yep. So I feel like I have a lot of childhood anxiety that my mom had like no tools for. Are there resources out there that feel like everything you said is revelatory in a lot of ways because nobody's been able to put pen to paper in such a way that makes sense to me. So are there other resources out there that are already written? specific with a Christian perspective, like resources for anxiety she's asking about because she feels like it's a newer thing in the Christian sector to talk about anxiety. Um, Yes, let me get back to you. I'll send it out in the email. Is that okay? Like some reason? Okay, great. I have a question about trauma. You mentioned it uh, and healing the pathways in the brain. What is your theory on that? Besides God healing, is there any other methods or things we can do to connect the synapses for yeah. regaining trauma? Yeah. Mm. So EMDR, you ever heard of it? Yes. Um, I do EMDR. I'm trained in it. And I'm doing it for myself right now because I've had a lot, a lot of trauma. Um, so, you know, and the idea of EMDR is that when we face traumatic things, we have this fight, flight, freeze, typical response and because of that, the trauma will get stuck usually in some, this back part of our brain where we cannot process it. So EMDR utilizes bilateral stimulation in your brain back and forth between your right and left hemisphere to help bring it to your frontal lobe, which is where we do anything smart. And so we can process it and reprocess it to again help connect 
some of those neuropathways. Um, and when we process and reprocess trauma, the hope is, is that it becomes less distressing. So we don't forget the trauma, right? But when the trauma comes to mind, our hope is instead of being at a level eight distress level, we're at a like one or two. So then I can manage it a lot better. And the hope is too, that at some point I don't feel it in my body anymore. And so EMDR does a lot of work with the body as well to try to clear that out. Uh, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's quite the mouthful. Because you can do eye movement to induce that bilateral stimulation. A lot of, a lot of people use buzzers that buzz back and forth. I mean, there's several ways to do it. I have two, yeah. if okay. that's okay. The first is, can you define trauma? Because I've, I've read that it can be a very personal thing. Is that right? Because I, I used to hear the word trauma and think that could never apply to me because it's only for extreme situations. But if you could speak a, a little bit more into how we define trauma. And then I have another question. Yeah. So we talk about big T trauma and little t trauma in counseling. Uh, big T trauma would, could qualify as like combat trauma. Some of the things that I've been through and the, some of the things I've seen, um, you know, big T trauma, seeing or experiencing a really bad car wreck, right? Those are all things I would say big T trauma. Little T trauma are things like in fourth grade, I stood up to read in my class and my teacher made fun of the way I read in front of everybody, right? But 20 years down the road, that is still mass, has a massive impact on me. So I would still call that trauma and you need to work through that. But, you know, we kind of say big T trauma versus little T trauma. But really, anything could be traumatic. It just depends on how it impacts you. Right? Maybe I had that same experience in fourth grade, and it didn't really have much impact on me. Because I was like, well, I hate that teacher anyway, so. <laughs> you know? I don't know, right? So even that, our experiences and how we interact with them would be different. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. My other question, real quick, is... Um, how do um, depression and anxiety affect one another or like coincide or coexist together? Can you talk yes. about that relationship? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty strong relationship that we see. Because <clears throat> um, anxiety can lead to depression and depression can lead to anxiety, right? Um, if you really think about depression and this sadness, right? And that sadness can feel so overwhelming that now I'm anxious, right? Um, or I'm so anxious and I can't figure it out and it just keeps plaguing me. And so that can lead me to a depressive type of state. Um, but they are very, they, they, I would say a good way to think about it is like, if you, I'm going to put this down. I got I need both of my hands. So if you have two pathways, right, that are parallel to one another, this is depression, this is anxiety, I would say they're really close, and a lot of times they cross over. Mm -hmm. um, for, for those who would be looking for counseling services, sorry, over here, um, after this, besides your practice, uh, in the email that you send out, can you recommend some other trusted practices around town that you would recommend? Yes. Mine is the only one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I will. 
Any um, starting points for if you think you have an anxious child? Um, I mean, I'm always going to say therapy. <laughs> you know, what? I mean, I don't think it could hurt, right? Because, and I would say play therapy. I can send some people out that I trust for play therapy. Um, so much comes out because kids don't know how to verbally express their anxiety just because of their developmental stage. And so they, to have a space, right, for them to play and not to have a mom or a dad with them who's incredibly biased about what they're doing, right? And so it gives them this freedom to play and work through some of this stuff. Um, I think doing coping skills, I mean, I always try to get my kids to do deep breathing with me. We do gratefulness every night. What can we thank Jesus for today, right? I mean, these coping skills you can do with your kids, and that could be helpful, Helping them identify other emotions that are going on as well could be really helpful in reducing some anxiety for them too. Hey, Cassie, I have a question. So when you talked earlier about, like, you know when your anxiety is kind of moving maybe to more a generalized anxiety if it's causing you to not be able to do normal life and other types of anxiety would be considered healthy. Can you talk more about that? Like, because I'm thinking, oh, it doesn't always feel healthy when you're like you're able to work through it and move through it but it still feels like it's impacting you so how yes can we think about that as healthy yeah so let's say um I'm trying to think of an example I'll just give you a real life example for me two days ago I met with my children's play therapist to talk about their Basically to debrief, you know, because they have like four sessions and then she and I meet to talk about what's going on. Well, she told me some things about my daughter that were not what I necessarily wanted to hear and how she's dealing with her grief. So immediately I'm anxious, right? And I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm all these things. Okay. So I left. I cried. That helped. I actually had a counseling, my counseling appointment after that. So that helped. So I talked about it. And then I went and talked to my husband later that night. I spent some time in prayer. And then by the end of the day, I did not feel anxious about that, at least in that moment, right? And so maybe that will come up again for me tomorrow, but I will do those same things and I will get to a place of more peace, right? Let me give you what I think might be unhealthy with that. So if that kept me up, all night, and maybe the next day, now that I've been up all night, I like slept past my alarm, my kids didn't get to school, right? And now I am, you know, and now maybe with my daughter, I'm like, well, she, she can't go to school because something bad might happen, right? And now I'm, because I'm already worried about her, right? And so now, and I start, it starts just going down this path where I'm not able to manage it. And I might be trying the same things, but I stay in it for a really long time, right? It talks about, again, that six months, right? Where it's pretty constant. Is that a good, you can guide me more if you need. Maybe I'm just thinking of the term as healthy. Healthy, okay. Like, 
Right. I mean, so, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I think like, how is this healthy, healthy for yeah. me? Like, I, it doesn't yeah. feel healthy. I can figure out healthy ways to deal with it. Yes. But it, I just want it to go away. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think healthy in the sense, again, of, right? Like, if there is actual danger, it causes me to change my course. That's what I mean by healthy. Yep. Um, because we want that, right? <laughs> like, you know, and so that's, that's really what I mean by healthy. Yeah. Okay. okay, let's take one more and then we want a little bit of time to talk about this. I just actually had one thing to add to um, the question about what can you do for a friend um, who's going through this. Whenever I was kind of at like one of my darkest points of anxiety and depression, I think one of the best things that my um, friends did was just being there with me, <laughs> like not trying to fix it, not trying to like wait until I was over it, like just being like, I love you through this. I love you where you're at. You don't need to get all of your crap together and then, like, feel like you can come to me. But I just want you to, like, be here without, yeah, needing to fix it and needing to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. And I would say that's true for anything yeah. that you're going to walk through your friends with. Grief, anxiety, anger, struggle in this, struggle in that. And I would say that's true for all of it. And, and, and as a friend, you get to speak truth. Yeah right? But we're not fixing it, right? We can remind of truth and we're not reminding them of truth when they're at their most heightened level because they can't hear it, right? Their brain is in fight or flight mode. Just like your children when they're crazy, that is not the time to have the lesson talk with them. (laughs) Same thing for us. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Cassie.